morning, church. That's something worth celebrating, isn't it? To see four people uh, come before us and declare their faith in Christ, to make that public, to say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of following Jesus. And we know in the world we live in, that's becoming more and more challenging for us. And yet to see them come before us and say, I want to be a part of uh, the family of believers. I, I want to confess that I know Christ, that I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. That is incredible. And I want you to understand that that's not typical. We, we don't need to take this for granted, that, that it doesn't happen this way all the time everywhere, and, and that we get to see God move in incredible ways so many times. We are so blessed and we are so fortunate to be able to see the manifestation of God in the lives of people consistently. That is incredible, right? That is unbelievable. There's nothing better than that, than to see the manifestation of God in people's lives. We know this, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But God also visits us and manifests himself amongst us. He gives these special visitations. And when we see people come to faith, that's what this is. When we see people take next steps, it's him moving. And my heart for us today is that as we've worshiped and, and we've, we've, we've declared the greatness of God and we have celebrated baptism, Listen, my heart today is that God would continue to manifest himself in our presence as we read his word. But before we do this, this is what I want us to do. I want us to take a minute just as the band is playing still. I want us to take a minute and I want us just to acknowledge his presence. I want us just to sit in silence just for a second. I want you to set your mind on God. I want you to set your mind on Christ. I want you to see Jesus on the cross, but I don't want you to stay there. I want you to see Jesus stepping out of the tomb. I want you to see Jesus rising and ascending into heaven. I want you to picture those first disciples in the upper room being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to ask God to fill you again with the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in your life this morning and, and to allow him to do whatever it is that he wants to do in your life today. So let's take a minute. Let's begin to just sit in his presence. Let's just begin to give him room to do what he wants to do. So Father, would you come and manifest yourself amongst us today? Would you move in a powerful way, Lord? scripture that comes to mind for me is when Jesus stood up in John 7 at the last greatest day of the feast and he says come to me all you who are thirsty and I'll give you drink and what he meant was that he would give the power of the Holy Spirit he would fill us with the Holy Spirit and right now I know some of you are in this place where you feel parched where you feel dry where maybe even wondering where's the presence of God in my life 
and you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need the rivers of living water flowing through you, bringing you back to spiritual vibrancy, vitality. And I want to pray for you right now, but I want you to do this. I want you to put your hand in the air, and I want you to say, God, today, would you fill me? again with the power of your Holy Spirit today I need you just put your hand in the air hold it in the air and, and this is a declaration of faith that God will do what he says he will do father right now we pray that an overwhelming uh, just flood of your spirit would come into us come into us Lord fill us manifest yourself in our hearts Lord we can't get enough of you we need more of you our hearts are parched our souls are parched. We need you, God. We need you to overflow within us. We need more of your life and less of ours. Like John the Baptist said, Lord, let us become less so that you can become more. Would you fill us again right now, even right now, that you would break through the barriers. Right now, I feel like this. There's some of you who need to remove a barrier of condemnation over your life. It's like a lid over your life that God is able, he's wanting to pour in, but you won't remove the, this barrier of condemnation of sin and shame and guilt to allow him in. So right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would realize the grace of God that removes the barrier of condemnation so that you can receive grace and mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit being flowed into you, poured into you right now, even as we sit right now, that the power of God would descend upon you right now. You need to believe God's word and believe God's truth that he removes the condemnation, that he removes the sin, that he removes everything that keeps us from him, that the curtain, the veil has been torn, the sin has been done away with, and right now you can turn to him. God, would you fill them now, even God, as they in faith trust you, as in faith they allow the condemnation to be removed. The other thing that's really in my heart right now is some of you need some assurance. Some of you need some security. For some of you, it's this security of salvation. You wonder, you worry, am I really saved? Am I really saved today? Do I really know him? Do, some of you, it's assurance that you're gonna be okay, that you are okay, that things are gonna work out, that, that you're going to be okay. This is what I would tell you. If you have believed in your heart that, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. If you've surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior, if you've given your heart to him as the Savior of your life, and you've surrendered your life to him, then you are saved. And Father, right now, I pray that you would fill them again with the power of your Holy Spirit as that guarantee, that deposit that you put inside of us that tells us the greatest is yet to come. For those, God, who need the assurance that things will be okay, God, I thank you that the best is always yet to come. But Father, I pray right now that rivers of living water would flow into them to give them that assurance, God, to know that guarantee, to know that little taste of heaven, to know what's to come. It's just that little bit, that drop, that little taste of what's to come 
for us in heaven in the future. God, would you give them that assurance? Would you give them that assurance? Would you speak to their heart, God, today? Would you allow them to rejoice today? In fact, this is what I sense. I sense that we need to just give God praise for what he's doing. I feel like we need to just thank him for the power of his Holy Spirit that is flowing in and through people this morning, that is working in people this morning. Because here's the reality. I don't deserve that. Here's the reality. You don't deserve that. Here's the reality. We are all unclean. But the good news is that the Father is so good that the Father sent the Son. And the Father and the Son love us so much that the Son took the uncleanness upon Himself so that we could be made clean that we can become vessels of honor that are filled with the Spirit of God. And so God, today we rejoice in you that you have made a way for us to come to you, that you have sent your very presence into our lives. And Father, we thank you and we worship you and we want more of you. Would you have your way in our life? Would you have your way in our heart as we read the Word of God that is the authority of God, would you continue to work in us and leave us so different than the way, way we walked in, God? Leave us changed. And God, tomorrow when Monday comes, God, what you set us free from today, in Jesus' name, we say that that will not bind us again, but that we will hold on to you in everything so that, God, we continue to walk free not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. We walk in the freedom of Jesus to accomplish the purposes for which you have created us. We love you, God. We worship you today. We honor you, Father. Thank you for your presence that is here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to continue this series called The Limitless Church. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. If you want to go ahead and turn there, again, uh, man, I'm, I'm thankful for the worship. I'm thankful for the baptisms. I'm thankful for the presence of God. I'm thankful for the power of the Spirit. I'm thankful for the power of prayer. I'm thankful that God responds to our prayer. I'm thankful that he's not just omnipotent or omnipresent somewhere out there. It's just drifting around somewhere out there, but he manifests himself to us. I'm so thankful for all of that. And in the midst of that, I now have about 15 to 20 minutes to get this message in. And so here's the reality. You got to listen fast, okay? You got to listen fast. So Matthew chapter 7 is actually where we're going to begin, the last couple of or verses there. Now, if you think about this, and this is something that I actually had planned on preaching something else, but this week in my own time with the Lord, the Lord showed me something in Matthew chapter 7 and 8 that I want to pick up on and talk about today. Now, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus gives the greatest sermon that has ever been. It's those um, sermons that, 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 that people who don't even know Jesus, 
who, who aren't even Christians quote a lot of these sayings that come from this sermon. Like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. To love your enemies. Those kinds of things that people who aren't even believers, maybe who've never read the Bible, they know parts of this sermon because it is so popular I mean, it's been talked about so much. Now, you get to the end of chapter 7, and this is where I want to begin reading in verse 28. And this is what it says. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, in other words, he's finished the message. It says, the crowds were amazed. Listen to that. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. It goes on in 8, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you, you don't tell anyone. Listen to this. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded he says this as a testimony to them. goes on there in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. This is a Roman leader, a pretty high up person in the Roman army. A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come, that one come and he comes. He, I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Listen to this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, he's speaking about the Jews. He's saying, many of you Jews who are the ones who are supposed to inherit the kingdom, you're not going to come in because you refuse to believe. But many of the Gentiles, those non-Jews, are going to believe like this centurion, and they're coming into the kingdom. He says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now skip down. We're going to go to verse 18, as best as I can tell with my 47-year-old eyes. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him. Am I in the right verse? Is that verse 18? He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It says then in the next verse, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is authoritative. It is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that we'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray that that would happen today. It is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce into the deepest parts of our hearts. Would you bring light into the darkest parts of our heart today, leaving nothing hidden, but leaving it all bare, that you might heal it, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So how many of you would say you've had like this mountaintop experience with Jesus before? You had a mountaintop experience with God before. Anybody that would say that? Um, those of you who haven't, have you heard people say that? Like, man, I just had this mountaintop experience. And what they mean by that is I had this experience that was just so incredible. Like it was the most amazing thing. Sometimes people say, you know, it was just this one time where God just really blew my mind. For some people, it may last a while where they're like, I had this mountaintop experience. And, and so uh, they, they have this. And then you'll hear people say this, that we aren't meant to always have those mountaintop experiences. And I would say this, but, but it kind of depends on what you're talking about. It kind of depends on if you're talking about the goosebumps and emotions that come many times when God, that manifestation of God comes into our life in a really special way. Now, that, that's not always going to happen. Uh, Christianity is not always about feelings and emotions. We're not moved by our feelings. We're moved by God's truth and by his word and by his spirit. Uh, but the thing is, though, even though we may not be having these mountaintop sort of experiences all the time it does not mean that we're not walking in the presence of God with the power of God and the power of his spirit all the time and we need to realize that and understand that I want you to look at this these people this is literal literally these people in Matthew 5 through 7 are having a mountaintop experience with Jesus are they not they are on top of the mountain and Jesus is teaching them and his teaching is so powerful. His presence is so powerful amongst them that it says that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. It sounds like a mountaintop experience to me. And they are amazed. This is incredible. We've never heard anything like this. He teaches with authority. It's not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these other Jewish leaders, who yet they talk about the word, but when Jesus teaches it, it comes with this authority, and it says they were amazed at his teaching. Now jump down to 8, 5 through 10. Let's read it again. Jesus has come down the mountain. It says large crowds followed him. Down in 5 it says this, Centurion came up to him, asking him, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? Centurion tells him, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one go and he goes, and then I tell one to come and he comes. I say to another, do this, and he does that. And listen to this. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And this is what caught my eye as I was reading this one night during the week, this past week. Two times people are amazed. The people were amazed on the mountaintop with Jesus' teaching. But listen to this. This is so cool to me. Jesus is amazed at a man's faith in the valley when there's chaos and all hell breaking loose in his life. See, anybody can have faith when you're on the mountaintop. What amazed Jesus was this man's faith in this valley, in the lower parts of life, in the chaos of life, 
when things aren't going well, and this man says, if you'll just come, just, just, you don't even have to come to me. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. I understand authority. I see the authority in you. I know the authority in your word. In fact, in Matthew 8, there are six different verses where Jesus says, do this, or says this, and this happens. He says this, and this happens. He says this, and this happens. Six different times he speaks and instantly something incredible happens. And this man understands this. He says, all you got to do, Jesus, is speak the word. If you'll speak the word, my servant will be healed. And this faith amazes him. This faith in the midst of chaos amazes him. It, it wasn't on the mountaintop where the people were listening to his teaching and they had goosebumps and they recognized the authority on the mountaintop where they're comfortable and they're able to just sit and enjoy. It was when they got into real life. Y'all hear that? They got into real life and they were able to have faith that Jesus would still deliver. And you look at that and that applies to us so much today. It's so interesting that they were amazed on the mountain, yet Jesus was amazed at faith in the valley. Jesus wasn't amazed at them sitting on the mountain enjoying good teaching. He was amazed when he saw faith in real life. And here's the thing I will tell you. The miracles of God happen in the valley of real life. Very seldom do they happen on a mountaintop. When we come and we step down like Jesus into the real life, into people's real lives, that's when we see the miracles. That's when we see people coming and professing their faith in Christ and being baptized. That's when we see people make a bold statement of faith and say, I want to follow Jesus for all of my life. It's when people like us, like me, like you, step into the real life of real people and we say, I'm going to walk with you, love you, I'm going to be there for you, even if everybody else turns their back on you, I'm going to be with you, and then they see the love of Christ, and all of a sudden they're being drawn to Christ, and all of a sudden we see the miracle of death to life. It's that person who is in their their workplace and someone's going through a struggle and they're having an issue and they just say, hey, can I pray for you? And they reach out their hand and they put it on their shoulder and they say a prayer for them and a miracle happens. Miracles happen in the regular area of life when we step in faith to do what God calls us to do. The problem for us, though, listen, and, and I'll tell you how I wrote it in my Bible in just a second. The problem for us is we are people who prefer to sit on the mountain here and hear good teaching rather than follow Jesus down the mountain and do good works. Are we not? We are people who would rather sit on the mountain and hear good teaching rather than follow Jesus down the mountain into the real area of life and do those works that Jesus has called us to do. Now, the way I wrote this in my Bible is I said, the American church, including me, <laughs> including me, would rather sit and hear good sermons, would rather listen to them on my podcast app 
would rather write them and preach them than really get down in the valley with people and step in faith to see God do incredible things. And I want you to understand this, guys. The valley I'm talking about, like Jesus comes down, he doesn't go down in this deep, deep valley. He just comes down the mountain, kind of into the regular um, area of life. The valley doesn't always represent tragedy. The valley doesn't always represent some extreme challenge. The valley represents that place of real life. See, real life isn't lived on a mountaintop with God. Real life is lived with God down in the regular place, in the mundane, in the grind. That's where the valley is. But I can tell you this. If you'll live out the life of Jesus in faith and you will take steps of faith in the regular area of life, God will do miracles. God will do miracles if you will step in faith to pray, to share, to love those who no one else loves, God will do miracles. 100%, you will see God do things that you never thought he would do. You will see people get saved that you never thought would be saved. In fact, raise your hand if you're one of those people who you're like, I will, I will, it's a miracle I'm saved. And I'm one of those. It is a miracle I am saved. And see, some of you, you didn't raise your hand because you don't have that testimony, right, of, of like how low you were. But understand this, you would have busted the gates of hell wide open if you died apart from Jesus. Every one of us, our salvation is a miracle. But we know some of us in here, we're like, dang, right? How'd they get saved? It's because the power of God works in people's lives. And if you'll just go and be Jesus in the places that you are, you will see God begin to do miracles. Sometimes it's just through being present. Sometimes it's just in being kind. Sometimes it's just in saying, yeah, you know, in my faith. Yeah, when I think about Jesus, and then it begins to open doors. One of the places that this happens for me is at the gym. And it's crazy, y'all. It's crazy. So I, I've been going to the same gym for like 20, 22 years. And, and, and I realize this now. Like, I've been going to this gym longer than most of the people who are in there. Like, how long they've been alive, right? Most of them are younger than the number of years that I've been going to this gym. And I realize this. And, and so I think they feel sorry for me. And so I can pretty much have any piece of equipment in the gym that I want. Because I'm like, hey, buddy, are you using this? No, sir, you go ahead. You go ahead, sir. And they're all polite, super polite. Yes, sir, you go ahead. You go ahead. Let me wipe that down for you. Sir, uh, can I help you sit down? Can I help you get up? So, so should I carry your bag, sir? Can I, can I help you? I think they feel sorry for me, right? And, and, but I get to know them. I get to build relationships. And here's what's crazy, y'all. Just this week, probably within the last seven to ten days, I've had four or five different guys in that gym come up to me and tell me they started coming to church here. Some of them never been to church before in their life. And here's the crazy thing. I never told them I was the pastor of the church here. All I do is build relationships with them. One of them comes up to me, had something happen in his life. He said, dude, I don't, I don't even own a Bible, but man, 
like, I want to know God. I said, guess what? You got a Bible. Come by and pick one up at the church. We were able to give him a Bible. He never had a Bible. And this is not patting me on the back. This is just God working, right? It's just God working. A lot of the staff there now, they're, they're coming to church together. It kind of stinks because I walk in, everybody's kind of like, hey, there's Pastor Brandon. I'm like, I'm not going to get anything done today. But it's awesome. It's awesome. And when you just step into these places, and you just, by faith, you begin to share this and share that. And when God opens opportunity, I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people who have no idea who I am as far as a pastor. Who begin to ask me for advice. Hey man, I don't know if what I should do about this. And I get to stand there and for 20, 30 minutes, I'm able to just say, look man, here's the thing. Here's how I would look at this. I can't make that choice for you, but I can tell you this. Why don't you pray about that? And God opens these doors. If you'll just be Jesus, if you'll take steps of faith in the regular place of life, you'll see miracles. You'll see miracles that take place. When we look at these passages and we look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and we really see how Jesus is doing this incredible teaching, what's really happening in Matthew 5 through 7 early on in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus is revealing himself through his words. He's revealing himself through his words. We get to Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus is really revealing himself through his works. And it's pretty powerful as we talk about seeing miracles in the valley that the first person Jesus comes to is this leper. He comes to this leper. This leper is considered unclean. Many of you know about this. He would have been cast out of the community. Um, there, there, there was no place for him in the community. He'd been isolated. And yet he sees Jesus and he comes running up to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to notice this. In this passage, the, the leper doesn't say heal. It doesn't say that he was healed. It says that he was made clean because the issue for the Jewish person or a Gentile person for that matter in that day was they were seen as unclean. They, they were separated from the community of believers and, and so they were pushed out. And yet this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And, and, and Jesus says, I'm willing. But Jesus doesn't just speak a word like the centurion said, you can speak a word over my servant. Jesus reaches out and touches him. And here's the crazy thing about this. According to Jewish law, according to Jewish law, by Jesus touching this leper, Jesus now becomes unclean like the leper. So now they're both should be unclean. But here's the crazy thing that happens. Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean. Jesus doesn't become unclean. And this is super important for us to see because there's a bigger message in this even than Jesus has authority over leprosy, which would be enough in itself. 
But if you notice this, Jesus tells the leper in the end, he says, go show yourself to the priest, these Jewish leaders. Because when they had leprosy, if they did end up um, feeling like they were healed, they had to go and they had to show them their skin and the priest would have to pronounce them clean. But he's going and it says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. There was a sacrifice to give. And, but this is what he says, and this is the main part. He says, as a testimony to them. Now, what did I tell you Matthew 8 and 9 are about? It's about Jesus revealing who he is through his works. That is why Jesus sent this man to the priest. Jesus didn't care if they pronounced him clean. Jesus could have cared less what they thought. Jesus sent this man to these priests as a testimony to tell them this. You know that law that says that if you have leprosy, you're unclean and you can't be reconciled back to the community? You know that law that, that can't heal people from leprosy? You know that law that says this is a permanent condition and that anybody with this condition is ostracized from everybody else? You know the law that you guys live by that, that, that condemns instead of bringing healing? You know that law that separates instead of bringing people back into a reconciled relationship with their family? You know that law? This is basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go show yourself to the priest and you tell them that one greater than the law is here. Is that not awesome? You go show yourself to the priest because one greater than Moses who gave you the law is here. You go show yourself to Moses because there's one here now who can do what the law couldn't do. And here's what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't remove uncleanness. And yet Jesus says, you go show them, go show them, you go show them. The one that the, that the scripture talks about is here. The one who can cleanse it is here. The one who can make it, what, make it right is here. And, and this picture of uncleanness, this is intentional. This first miracle that Jesus does when he comes off of this mountain, it's intentional because the uncleanness represents our sin. The leprosy represents our sin. And just as this leprosy was seen as permanent, so is our sin. Just as this leprosy was seen as incurable, listen, listen, you got to listen, wake, you got to wake up. Just as this leprosy was seen as uncurable apart from the intervention of God, so is our sin. And yet Jesus in this, in making this statement, is saying the one who has been promised is now here and he can remove the uncleanness, not just of leprosy, but of your sin. He can do what the law and religion cannot do. Last week I was sitting right back here by this, this side door, back rails. Back there where I could just see, and, and, and sometimes when I'm not preaching, I just like to sit back there because I like to see who's here. Not, not to know who's here as far as, oh, well, there's Joe, right? But, but to look and, and to see the people. And here's the thing that happened for me. I'm looking, and I'm looking at the people, and I can see all these faces. I can see all these heads. I kind of peek my head up so I can see the other side. And, and I'm looking at all the people, 
And here's where I went with that. I started thinking about all the stories represented here. I started thinking about all the stories that are represented here. I started thinking about all the, 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 the hurt that's represented here. I started thinking about all the joy that's represented here. I started thinking about all the life experiences that are represented here. And then it hit me. I started thinking about all the uncleanness represented here. And I started thinking about the condemnation that we feel from that uncleanness. And then it began to break my heart because I started thinking about how little of God most people in this room experience on a daily basis. And much of that is because we can't get past our own uncleanness or we don't realize the amazing grace that took that uncleanness from us. And yet when we look at this leper, we see this. And see, there are some people here who, who you need to understand that by Jesus healing this leper, he is telling us that he heals and takes away sin. Your sin, my sin, the worst of sin, even those who've turned their back from God, who have blasphemed God, who have said there is no God, God still made a way for you to come to him and it's not too late. And I'm just gonna get real about some things. There's some of you right now who you feel unclean because of your sexual immorality and you can't seem to get by it. There, there are people, if we're honest, you've slept with more people than you can remember and some of them you don't even know their names. Some of you, you're trapped in this, this guilt and this, this shame, this uncleanness from drug abuse. Some of you, you're, it's the uncleanness of rage. For some of you, it's broken vows in your marriage. For some of you, it's neglecting those you are supposed to nourish and protect. For some of you, it's abortion and the guilt of that abortion that will not let you go. For some of you, it's racism that you have in your heart and you know, I just wish this could go away. I just wish I could get rid of it. Guess what? Jesus heals heart. Jesus can make you overcome that. Listen, laws and regulations will never overcome racism. What will overcome racism is changed hearts, and that's what Jesus does. Some of us, the uncleanness comes from abuse that was done to us. There are people in here who have been molested. There are people in here who have been raped, and there is bitterness and there is hate that is represented in this room. But Jesus Christ today, with all authority in heaven and on earth, today desires to make you whole, desires to make you clean. And you need to understand today that you are not damaged goods, but in Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God. I have a friend and I'm gonna tell this story a little bit off because I don't want anybody to be able to guess who it is, but I have a friend who was riding down the road this week and uh, somebody pulled out in front of him. I'm gonna be honest, it's, sometimes this almost happens to me too, right? Somebody pulls out in front of him. And he's like, before I knew what happened, I told this guy he was number one. Y'all know what I mean? He said, I told this guy he was number one. And here he, he said, here I am. You know, I got stuff on my, my vehicle, it tells people like, I'm a Christian. He's like, I'm supposed to be 
a Christian remade in the image of God. And here I am, I'm telling this person, I'm number, he's number one. He's like, what kind of person am I? He's like, it's been killing me all week. This is this guilt, this unclean feeling. It's just been killing me all week. And right when he said that, we're sitting there talking. Right when he said that, I said, you know what's amazing? You know how amazing grace is? I said, even when you had that finger in the air, you were still in the righteousness of Christ. Was the act righteous? No. But was he still clothed in Christ's righteousness? Yes. Was he by faith still in the image of God? Yes. And I know there are people who will say, well, preacher, you know you got to repent of sin. He did. He did. But your righteousness is not based on your cleanness. Your righteousness is based on the faith of the one who was clean and took your uncleanness so that you can come right with him. You need to get that in your head. You need to understand this. The last thing I want to finish with is this, and this is going to be real quick. It, it tells us down in those last few verses that uh, when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This, this guy comes and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came and said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It goes over to the next section where there's about to be the storm that Jesus calms. But it says this, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Here's the question I have for you and for many of you. You're on the side of the lake, right? And Jesus is saying, you know, come follow me. And he's given this challenge. He's like, if you really want life, come follow. And then they begin to kind of make these excuses, right? I want to follow you. They kind of begin to throw these things. And Jesus knows their heart. He's like, look, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You really want to follow? They listen, let me go bury my father. He's like, let the dead bury their dead. And it says, when he got in the boat, the disciples followed. Here's the question, are you following? Here's the question, are you ready to cross over from one side of the lake to the other? Are you willing to follow? Because as soon as things started getting uncomfortable, what happens is people start wondering, is it really worth it? Here's the thing, I would say it's 100% worth it, but you gotta make a decision. Is he Lord and Savior of my life? Am I willing to follow? Am I a disciple who will follow Jesus? And for some of you, you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. You need to have the uncleanness cleansed, and you need to say, yes, you are Lord of, of, of all things, God, and I will follow you. And they're going into a storm, y'all. And he says, and say, I will follow you. You are Lord and Savior, and I'll follow you. You are Lord of my life. And some of you, for the first time, you need to do that. In fact, if you know that's you right now, why don't you put your hand in the air and say, today I need to follow Jesus. For the first time in my life, I realize that I am unclean. I need that. I am ready to surrender to him as Lord of my life, as Savior, to say yes to him. And today I need Jesus in my life right now, right now. Stick your hand up. There we go. Michael, will you pray with this? this Person accepted. Thank you so much, so much. Listen, right now, you know, like this, listen, 
this is the reality. I'm unclean and I've never said yes to Jesus. I'm still dead in my sin. I'm dead in my transgression. I need to come to life. And for some of us, we're in this place. It's kind of this half-hearted commitment. And I need to go from this side to this side. I need to go from being sort of committed to fully committed to saying, I don't want to just sit here. I want to make disciples. I want to follow Jesus and make disciples. I don't want to be sort of half committed. I want to be heart and soul with the mission of God. And maybe that's your next step. But in light of Jesus' great work in our life, how can we resist that? So I want to pray for us that that will become a greater reality. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that you love us, that the uncleanness that we feel, it has been swallowed up in victory through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you right now that even though in our state, Lord, in our state lord we are sinners but in our status we are the righteousness of god and we celebrate that today we give you joy thank you for your presence here would you continue every morning that our feet hit the floor would you fill us to overflowing with rivers of living water of your spirit we love you god and we praise your name